We're going to do our declaration. I want to remind you, you can give your tithes and offerings at our tithe boxes in the back, or you can give online via our app or website. We're going to declare the word of the Lord this morning, and my prayer is this. My prayer is that you don't just say this because it's what you're supposed to do. My prayer is that you would believe it as you say it, and either one of two things would happen. When you say it, it sparks faith, or that your faith is sparked by what we say here today because this is the word of the Lord and these things are true. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. God, we thank you. You are faithful. You never change, God. You're our provider. You supply every need that we have according to your riches. And we thank you for that. I thank you that everything I have is because of you, Lord. Today we take time to honor you, to celebrate you, to lift up your name. We're thankful to be in your house. And I pray, God, today that we would submit to you and to what you have for us, that we would receive what you have for us. And I pray anyone in this room who doesn't understand your love and doesn't understand your forgiveness and doesn't understand that mercy triumphs over judgment every time, I pray they would know today that no matter how far they feel from God, that Jesus, you are the way to God the Father. Jesus, you are the way to forgiveness. You are the way to freedom. And your grace is rich and it's bountiful and it's plentiful. And Jesus Christ, you took our wrath, all of it, on the cross for us so we didn't have to. And I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't believe that today, that you would reveal that to them, that your mercy triumphs over judgment every time. In Jesus' name, amen.
pastor's text this morning comes from Acts chapter chapter 20, verse 16. Just one verse of scripture this morning. Acts 20, verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hasted. If it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And I pray today you would empower our pastor to preach your word with power and anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Wow, there's a wonderful presence of the Lord here today. And I want to know, to know that we need not to take that for granted. The worship has been so wonderful. There's been such unity in the, in the presence of the Lord here today. I'd like for you to just give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Would you do that? Hallelujah. And before I get started, I looked out and I've seen it. So good to see Sister Kirby back with us. We love you, baby. Good to see you here. Hallelujah. Today is a very special day for us here at the palace because, and all of us as believers because today we celebrate what is known as Pentecostal Sunday. In times past, I've preached in length on the Feast of Pentecost. I've preached on Pentecost Sunday. I've preached on Pentecost in general. However, this morning, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to be preaching a non-traditional message and not what you would really expect to what a man would preach on the day of Pentecost. We're going to hit some of it because we want to make sure that we honor it very well. But I'm going to try to build a message on an event that happened 61 years ago in Jerusalem that I think was of a prophetic nature. At this time, I'm sure those that attended at that event did not realize the similarities and the prophetic nature of what was actually taking place. Ray H. Hughes, our former general overseer of the Church of God, who was the president and the chairman of the Pentecostal World Conference, he shared in his writings many, many, many years ago about an event that took place and at that, about the events that took place at the event that I'm about to talk to you about here just in a few moments. I want to borrow from his writings and show you the, show you the prophetic nature of how God God reveals the unique realness and authenticity of Pentecost and its importance. On May the 21st, 1961, the streets of Jerusalem were filled with people on their way to Mount Zion. And the Jews of that day were chanting an Old Testament scripture in their Israeli tongue. And the atmosphere, they said, was literally charged with expectancy. They said that when you walked down those streets, it was unbelievable the amount of energy that was in that town. The Jews were excited because this was a day to celebrate. It was the day of Pentecost and every Jew where possible gathered at Mount Zion to worship and to celebrate this great event. No one dared to miss such a wonderful opportunity. It was a blessed day. It was a Jewish festival. And the celebration of Pentecost has always been sacred to the Jewish people. In Paul's day, it is said in our text in Acts 20 and 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia for he hastened if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now that word hasted meant that he urged on, that he sped on diligently and earnestly and eagerly he tried to make it to the Feast of Pentecost. It was more than just a desire for him to be there, but there was an inner passion, a burning passion in his spirit and heart that was pushing him and pulling him and drawing him 
him and compelling him to be there. Look at the hunger of Paul as he tries to get to the Pentecostal day of celebration. It was a day that no one took lightly nor treated carelessly. It was a day that was highly esteemed among the Jewish people. Pentecost was a, of a holy reverence even way back in the Old Testament when they celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover lamb. Here we are today still celebrating the day of Pentecost even in this 21st century. We celebrate it because Jesus died on the exact day that the Passover lamb was offered up and the blood was applied to the doorposts of the Israels in Egypt. What the Passover lamb was to the Israelites, I want you to know is what Jesus Christ is to us. The Passover lamb was the sacrificial lamb that shed its blood for the purpose of placing that blood over the doorpost of the Israelites in order for the death angel to pass over them and deliver them from Egypt. We know that to be a story in Exodus. But even though this was an event, this was an event of a redemptive nature, yet this was only a type and shadow of better things to come because Jesus Christ became your and I Passover lamb. Several thousand years later, Jesus would die the very exact same day that the Passover lamb was slain in Egypt for Israel's deliverance. And Jesus became your and I sacrificial lamb to redeem us and save us from worldly bondage as well. This is why that John the Baptist wrote in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Here John's saying, Look at him. He's our lamb. He's the sacrificial lamb. And he takes away the sins of the world. In verse 36 it says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, he referred Christ as the Lamb of God. John again referred to Christ as our lamb in Revelations 5 and 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He's the only savior of the world. He's our Messiah. Can you praise him and thank him for the gift of salvation? Oh, hallelujah. Praise be unto God. However, the day of Israel was, however, that the day that Israel was delivered from Egypt marked the first day of their calendar year for them. As January 1st is our calendar day, yet I want you to know the day that uh, the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, that was considered their first day. Exodus chapter 12, verse 2 says this This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. It was their new beginning as a people. People as a nation, it was their fresh start. They were leaving Egypt, which is a type of the world, and that's what the word Egypt means is worldliness. They were leaving the world being delivered by God, and it was their first day of the year. Even so, our new beginning as Christians started at our Passover when Jesus shed his blood upon Calvary for the remission of our sins. It was our new start. Our slate has been wiped clean. Our sins as washed as white as snow. 
and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus and we got a new identity because our names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. We are born again. We have received sonship with God. We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ and to as many as received him, to him gave he power to become the sons of God. The Passover, which represented the first day of the first month of Israel and it was a day that it started their new journey. This is the day also that started our new walk in Christ Jesus when we got born again. Now we live that out by faith and we have received salvation and now we walk out that salvation with fear and trembling according to the word of the Lord. Are you glad that you're saved? The next day that you were saved was your new beginning. It was your new start and now you're walking that out by faith. But interesting enough, it doesn't stop there. Say it, don't stop there. Look at somebody. I'm about to build a sermon. I'm just in my introduction. You hang on. I want you to thank God for Calvary. Thank God for salvation. But I want you to know that ain't all that God wants us to receive. And matter of fact, interesting enough, the day after Passover is known as the day of first fruits. This is the day that Israel actually left Egypt with the Egyptian spoils. This represents the blessings of Calvary. Aren't you glad that there's blessings in Calvary? And here they are, they're not only leaving the world, but they literally leave with the spoils of Egypt in their hands. Israel had not established an ordinance of first fruits as of yet, but it was an example or symbol that would become an ordinance to them to follow due to the importance and the significance of the origin of that event. In the ordinance in the Old Testament, the first fruit represents the beginning of what we call the grain harvest. On the day of first fruits, a sheaf of barley was weighed before the Lord on that day. Look at Leviticus 23, verse 10 and 11 with me. Now, I'm building a sermon. Hang with me. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land which I give you, and you shall reap the harvest thereof, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall weigh the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Very important. Remember about this priest waving this offering before the Lord and then God having to accept that offering. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. But as the priest would give a wave offering of a sheaf of barley unto the Lord, it was saying to God this, we give you the first fruits of our harvest, which is our tithe, our 10% that literally... Uh, Brother Zach talked about. In other words, they would go out and gather a tenth of the harvest. They would bring it back. They would give it to the priest. The priest would take a sheaf out of it and wave it before God and say, they've paid their tithes. They've given their first fruits. This is what was a symbol of. And then as it was accepted, it was of God. It was God, after accepting it, saying to the people, okay, you've given me the tenth, but there's more to come. In other words, first fruit was the promise of more fruit that was about to come to pass. Because let me tell you something. If you gave only a tenth, that meant 90% had not yet been harvested yet. And can I tell you, Calvary is kind of like you receiving a tenth portion of God, but yet there's 90% you ain't harvested as of yet. There's more to come. Can I have an amen in this house? There was more blessing to follow after the offering of first fruits. However, now listen to this. Jesus 
was and became our first fruits whom God raised from the dead, according to Paul's teaching. Jesus is the first fruits of the new covenant. He's the first fruits of the New Testament. As Christ died on Passover day and he was lifted high on the cross of Calvary to be, to, to be our sin offering to the Lord, to be the one that took our place, and then on the third day after the Sabbath, on Sunday morning, he became our wave offering. <laughs> Woo, I'm about to preach now. And now I want you to know, even as our tithe redeemed the whole, even so Christ, our wave offering, redeems us from as well because if Christ be not risen from the dead, yet we're still dead in our sins. As Christ came off that cross as our wave offering, it was saying, hey guys, there's more to come. This is where Pentecost comes in. Pentecost is known as that which is more to come. This is why that Jesus said in John 16 and 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient, necessary, important that I go away for if I go not away. He said, I, I, if I go not away, the comforter will not come, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus was proclaiming, I'm just the first fruits, but there's even more for you to experience. There's even more that's about to come your way. The Holy Spirit, the divine paraclete, he says, the one that will come alongside of you and help you, he's going to come to you. During the time between the resurrection and Pentecost, we know for 40 days, Jesus instructed his disciples concerning the things of the kingdom of God and the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. During those 40 days, it was during that time that he gave commandments. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but they were to wait for the promise of the Father and they were waiting to tarry for this thing called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now they were to wait and to tarry until they be endued and clothed upon with power. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And Jesus said, don't you leave that upper room until you be clothed with or empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying, I'm going away. I'm about to ascend, but I'm not leaving you comfortless. I will send you the Holy Ghost. Jesus was saying, I may be leaving, but there's more for you to experience. There's more to come. I like what Psalms 103, verse one through three says. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Oh, bless his holy name. But I love verse two. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. I'm here to tell you when I went to Calvary, I not only was saved from my sin, but I received the favor of God. And not only have I received the favor of God, I received the heir of, I'm an heir of God. I received the blessings of Abraham. I want you to know I have become in covenant with God, and I want you to know I am highly favored. Blessings are going to come my way. There's more to come because of Calvary. Oh, hallelujah. Woo. Well, hallelujah. Can a preacher just get a little excited today? If I can't get happy about my own preaching, how do I expect you to get happy? Hallelujah. Woo. Well, praise God. Well, somebody better run for me or I'm about to run and not be able to finish this message. Oh, hallelujah. We're about to have a Pentecostal explosion here today. After those 120 tarried, Jesus told him, you go there. He departed before he, and then he departed and sent it out of their sight. And after they tarried for 10 days, why 10 days? 
It's very important that they tarried 10 days. He was with them for 40 days. And, it, and for 40 days, he died. And for 40 days, he was with them. Pentecost had not yet come. And yet the promise of the Holy Spirit came when the day of Pentecost was fully come, which was what? 50 days after the Passover. So he was with them for 40 days. They had to tarry 10 before the Holy Spirit could come. And that's why Acts 2, 1 through 4 says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothed in tongues of fire that set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Do you still believe in that event today? Can I have an amen in this house? I'm about to preach to you, hang on. And isn't it significant that the outpouring happened on Pentecost, just like God said it would? But the question today is, what made the day of Pentecost on the 21st of May, 1961, so important? What was so important about that event that took place in Jerusalem that day? As the Jews on the Sunday morning of May, with their hearts full of excitement, they came to Mount Zion to worship and to celebrate, they say. However, something strange was happening in Jerusalem that had never happened before. The sixth World Pentecostal Conference was being held among them but with, but under the leadership of the chairman named Ray Hughes at Mount Zion. It may have been the sixth World Pentecostal Conference, but it was the first one that had ever taken place at Jerusalem. The Jews were showing up with enthusiasm, excitement, and the celebration of Pentecost was at hand, and it burned within their hearts. And under some of the writings that you can read says during that event, said there was so much energy and excitement and noise that was like a roar in that town. Let me just stop right here. Every time we come into this place, there ought to be a holy roar. There ought to be something taking place in the house of God. They said that city was so loud you couldn't even hardly talk of the roar, of the excitement, of the people sharing, of the people walking up to Mount Zion to celebrate the day of Pentecost. There was a holy ambition. There was a passion in the hearts of the people. They burned. They were on fire as they approached that whole holy hill. But when they got to Mount Zion, they could not understand why something was taking place. Earlier, there was some guys that said, if we're going to be a part of this, we got to get there early. They did not procrastinate. They did not hold back. But they were eager and their passion burned hot. And it was these people, these delegates from this six world Pentecostal conference people and they said if we're going to be a part and participate we got to get there early because there will be so many thousands of people there you won't even get around that Mount Zion area so they got there early and when these Israelites came there and seen these Gentiles from many nations under heaven there the Gentiles were actually not supposed to be able to worship at Pentecost it was supposed to be a Jewish festival in their mind and as these Jews came, they saw something significant. I don't even think they understood what was taking place, but they saw 3,000 delegates present in Jerusalem for the Sixth World Pentecostal Conference, and they went around asking this question when they got there. Here they are, full of these Jews, full of excitement, full of enthusiasm, and they get to Mount Zion, and all of a sudden there's 3,000 uh, delegates from this conference there who are Gentiles and they're scratching their head and they're saying, hey, this is what they ask. What meaneth this? What's going on here? What's taking place here? 
What's happening here? We don't understand. And let me tell you, isn't it strange that 3,000 was how many came to the conference? And on the day of Pentecost, when the original outpouring, what did Peter do? He preached and won 3,000 people to the Lord. Ah, there's something prophetic happening here. Ah, Don't you see the link here? 3,000 delegates to the exact number signed up to be there. And as those 3,000 was there, those Jews were scratching their head. All of a sudden, they didn't know what to think about it. They didn't know how to receive it. Even though this was dealt with way back in the time of the Pentecostal experience. But also, I want you to know, on the day of Pentecost, on the original day, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. And when those 120 were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they came out of that upper room into the streets, they were speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. You remember in Acts chapter 2, and then in Acts 2.17 it says, now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confused and, and confounded because every man heard them speak in their own language. And then it says in verse 12, and they were all amazed, and they were in doubt, amazed in doubt at the same time, saying one to another, here we go, what meaneth this? 2,000 years earlier, they were asking the question on the day of Pentecost, what meaneth this? What is this event? What is taking place here? What is all this tongues of fire? What's to, and then 2,000 years later, in 1961, in the month of May, as them Gentiles gathered there, they were asking the same question. What meaneth this? What, oh, what meaneth this? These Jews were coming to Mount Zion to honor or to remember a feast of the Hebrew law. They were there for mere reflection and they looked at Pentecost as nothing more than a sacred memorial. These Jews had nothing more than what we would call a dead ritual. They were going through the traditions of religion and they were proud and they were excited over it. Let me just stop right here and say it's odd to me as a Pentecostal preacher how that these Jews could be more compassionate, more passionate and excited and full of more enthusiasm than we are when we are gathered at every Sunday morning for a Pentecostal worship service. Oh God, if they can get excited about a dead religion, how much more should we get excited about the Holy Ghost? Somebody praise the Lord in this house. Let's get a hold of this thing. Let this thing get a hold of us. Whoa! Breathe on us, Holy Ghost. Breathe on us, Holy Ghost. Fall on us, Holy Ghost. your hands and worship him, my goodness. Well, glory. Holy Ghost, he can do more in two minutes than I can do in a lifetime of preaching. 
Oh, I feel his presence here today. I feel his presence here today. I said I feel his presence here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But these Jews that were there could not understand why these Gentiles were there also to celebrate when it was a Jewish festival. They thought the blessings of Pentecost and the promise of Pentecost was only to the Jew. Doesn't that sound familiar? That doctrine is still among us today. Oh, the Holy Ghost is only for the early church. Oh, the Holy Ghost is just for the early apostles. Come on. And they had the same attitude back then in 1961 as they had on the year of 2000, uh, in the year uh, in the year of 2022 that we're living in today. No, they had that, that even in the upper room experience. But as these 3,000 delegates came, they focused their attention upon the fact that this was the very place where their feet stood, that the Holy Ghost was sent down from heaven almost 2,000 years ago and it birthed the New Testament church. Said so this is the place. Hallelujah. These people did not look at Pentecost as a mere memorial. That ain't why they traveled to Jerusalem. But they were witnesses to the entire world that they were samples at that time of the 20th century believers who had been filled with the Holy Ghost. They wanted to show the Jews what happened almost 2,000 years ago was still very much alive and well today. They wanted to show them that the outpouring of Pentecost was more than just a festival or a memorial or a tradition to be observed and celebrated, but it was an experience to be possessed by believers of all ages. And even though Pentecost happened 2,000 years prior to that, they wanted to show that Pentecost was still alive and vibrant in the hearts of men and women. Spending over 20 centuries, they were witness to the fact that Pentecost is still abides, that Pentecost is real, it's authentic. Can I have an amen? They were saying, the 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost, they were saying by that number, that those who were saved on the day of Pentecost and that the 3,000 delegates was a symbol of that, they were saying, hey, I want you to know, those 3,000 delegates that were there, that Pentecost is still alive from those delegates that were there in the early church. Why? Because it showed up here today and they're great, 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 great grandchildren. It showed up in their grandsons and it showed up in their granddaughters. What they experienced 2,000 years prior is being felt and understood in their generations throughout the past century. And this is why that Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I'm gonna pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That's Jesus' words. And Peter summed it up when he said in Acts 2 and 39, for the prom this promise is unto you and to your children and your children's children and to all of them that are far off, as many as the Lord thy God shall call. That this Pentecostal experience wasn't just for the Jew. It wasn't just for those at the early church, but it's for everyone and it's for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. It's for your children's children, 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 children. Hallelujah. And for 2,000 years, that gift of the Holy Ghost that's poured out 2,000 years ago rests upon me and here the year of 2022, the Holy Ghost is real. Can I have an amen? Pentecost is real. 
We all have a choice here today. Say you got a choice. We can become like the Jews and still be asking the same old questions that they've asked for 2,000 years. What meaneth this? What's this all about? Before I receive it, I gotta come to a full understanding Then you'll never receive it. If you can understand God, then he's not big enough to be your God. Come on, somebody. There are some experiences you read scripturally and you trust by faith and when it overwhelms you, you're amazed because it's beyond your comprehension. It's beyond your ability to figure it out. I'm glad I can't figure out the Holy Ghost. Amen. Can I have an amen? See, everybody's going, what meaneth this? What's going on? People come to Pentecostal church, man, I like what I feel, but I just don't understand that. What, what meaneth this? What's going on here? I don't understand. And we can come in and we can have that attitude and be like the Jews. We can be like, or we can be like the early church and embrace Pentecost and show the world the manifestations of the spirit and power and great glory. And we can turn our world upside down under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We can come to the place of Pentecost, worship, and enter in with mere reflection or, or what, and, and what it stands for like the Jews or we can enter in and open up and humble ourselves and be refreshed with the Pentecostal experience right here today. We can get caught up in tradition of the Pentecostal worship, come in and do our motions. Come on. We got, we got a label over the door. We got a name here at the Palace of Praise. I hear people sometimes say, what, what, what church do you go to? Pentecost? Well, what, what kind of organization? Oh, we're Protestant. And, well, well, I mean, uh, what y'all's belief? Well, we, we believe in Jesus. And, and they're afraid to say, we're Pentecostal. It's almost like there's an embarrassment sometimes with people because they're afraid the world don't understand it. The world will never understand it. They're walking around, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? What meaneth? Show them what it means. Ha! Can I have an Amen. But we can get caught up in the traditions of Pentecostal worship and never experience Pentecost for ourselves. And we can look at it as a mere memorial that we reflect upon and go through the motions and be dead spiritually because we're full of a ritual. I don't want to be have a ritual around here. Or we can treat it the way the Apostle Paul did. Look at one more time. As our text pointed out, the Apostle Paul desired to go to Jerusalem to the day of Pentecost celebration. Look at verse 16 of Acts 20 one more time. For Paul had determined to sell by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia for he hastened, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now Paul even told the church of God at Corinth prior to this how he desired to visit them and minister to them. As a matter of fact, Paul even noted in his writings the importance and the necessity for him to visit with them because of all the problems that they were having in the church. In other words, Paul, in prayer phrases, man, you got some serious problems. I've got to come and I've got to help you out of this. You got some problems that's going to destroy the church. That's how serious it was. He, has, he, has, he sensed the necessity and the urgency to go there to Corinth. But listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 6 and 7, or 16, verse 6 and 7. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey wherever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. Now, first of all, you, let's dissect what's going on. Paul had already told him, I see the problems, I see the situations, you've got serious things going on, and if I don't come, this church could literally be, be destroyed. And then he says these words, and Paul's saying, if the Lord permit it, I'm gonna come to you and be with you. But he says in verse eight, 
but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. In other words, he's saying, I'm not giving up Pentecost to come to mess with your mess, to deal with your mess. As as important as it is, I gotta get to Pentecost. He did not say, if the Lord's will, I'll go to Pentecost. He recognized that it was the Lord's will for him to be a Pentecostal celebration of worship. Paul even had great risk going back to Jerusalem to the celebration. Do you not know that? Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 16 and 9, he says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. In other words, he said, you can understand what Paul's talking about here if you'll go read Acts, Acts chapter 20 through 24. It was in Jerusalem where these Jews of Asia stirred up the people and they had laid hands upon Paul and they began to try to kill Paul. As a matter of fact, Paul was seized in Jerusalem by this mob, and he suffered many things because of him. He suffered scourgings and beatings and imprisonment and mockery, spitting and all of that stuff. And notice Paul was ministering in Asia to the very Jews in that continent that had tried to kill him. I don't think that's smart in my business, but it was to him. But he was willing to risk everything to return to Jerusalem to Pentecost. Pentecost was so important that he ignored the church problems at Corinth for a season. He put them on hold even though they were serious and needed attention and him being an overseer. Paul understood that he needed a Pentecostal celebration before he could ever deal with such church problems. He needed the spirit. He needed the refreshing. He needed the Pentecostal blessing. He needed to hold true to what he believed. Before he could do anything else, he had to have God's anointing and God's approval. You can't deal with demonic activity without spirit empowerment. He said, before I go deal with that, I gotta get clothed again. I gotta get, I don't care that you got filled with the Holy Ghost 20 years ago. You need a refreshing today to deal with the things that's going on today. And that's what Paul's telling him. Pentecost was so important that he was willing to risk his life to return and to celebrate it. This, the, the, there simply wasn't anything else more important to Paul than for him to go to Jerusalem for this great event. Let's put everything into context, into perspective of where we live today. Every Sunday, we have the opportunity to celebrate and worship Pentecost. There ought to be so much excitement every Sunday when we enter into this place. We're entering his courts with praise. We're entering his... Gates with thanksgiving. Them Jews, as they were going down them streets in Jerusalem to head to Mount Zion, there was so much energy. There ought to be in the grounds of the palace of praise all the way from the parking lot to this sanctuary. What's wrong with us? When a Jew can get more excited about a festival or a tradition that we can about the realness and authenticity of Pentecost, something's wrong. Can I have an amen? It must be our priority, our passion, our desire, our heart to come into God's presence and charge this atmosphere with expectancy. Things happen when there's a spirit of expectancy. Every Sunday, there ought to be an atmosphere of enthusiasm among the people in the house of God. There ought to be energy 
worked up energy where we shared our faith, where we talked our faith, where, we, where, we, where we've come in prepared and our hearts are burning with passion, eagerly to connect with God, wanting to connect with God. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after right. They should, those that are sitting there, I gotta have more, I gotta have more, I want more, I want more, I gotta have it. It's a necessity for me to survive the onslaught of the evil of my day. Can I have an amen? Every Sunday there ought to be an atmosphere of people gathering saying, what's gonna happen next? Amen? And it shouldn't be coming in, what meaneth this? What is this? Being a spectator, sitting back and being a spectator saying, huh, I wonder what that's about. I wonder if that's real. That's where people are at. People are trying to feel their way through this thing. We ought to make haste like Paul to enter into Pentecostal worship. It must be our priority, our passion, our desire, our focus. When we come in here, one thing, I'm not here to meet with Susie. Come on. I'm not here to talk to Joe. I'm, I'm, my focus is on I'm here to enter into his presence. This is Pentecost Sunday. Every Sunday's a Pentecost Sunday. This is Pentecost time. This is time of refreshing. This is for me to get my blessing on the, my Sunday so I can work out of the blessing throughout the rest of the week. I can have the strength of the Holy Ghost to deal with the messes of life. Can I have an amen? We ought to be diligent, eager. Our hearts should burn and be set aflame of fire to come to the place of Pentecostal celebration like that of Paul. When those delegates from the Sixth World Pentecostal Conference went to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost, let me say it again. They were showing them that Pentecostalism is more than a formality. It's just more than an ordinance. It's more than a tradition to keep. But it's a way of life and it's something that was still alive and burning in the hearts of men's and women all over the world. It was showing them that the fire had not went out and that Pentecost was still alive and well. It was showing them that the power had not diminished and the Holy Ghost has not lost his authority. They were showing them that just as the Holy Spirit fell on hungry hearts in an upper room 2,000 years ago, he's still falling and he's still filling people with the Holy Ghost today after 2,000 years of persecution. They were witnesses to the entire world that they were just a tiny sample of many believers in that 20th century that have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They wanted to show the Jews what happened almost 2,000 years ago was still very much alive and well. They wanted to show them that the outpouring of Pentecost was an experience to be possessed by believers of all ages and all generations. Just as when they took to the streets on that first Pentecostal outpouring and people marveled they were amazed, they were astonished, and they asked what meaneth this. It was a sign to them in 1961 that they were still hanging on to dead religion. They should have known by now what meaneth this. They should have understood that this was a sign of the first fruits that Jesus Christ's gift was accepted, that the sin offering was accepted, and the tongues of fire with a sound that was proof of the offering being accepted, and Jesus made it back to glory, and when the comforter came, it was a sign that Jesus took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can I submit to you today? Pentecost is not dead. Can I tell you the Holy Ghost is real? 
Can I tell you, fire's still falling, the rain's still being poured out, the glory's still coming down. It ain't ever stopped. Just as there were devout men dwelling in Jerusalem that came out of every nation of heaven, Ray Hughes' book says, at the conference in 1961, there were people from Spain, from Germany, from Canada, from the United States, and the list goes on and on of many different kinds of nations around the world out of those 3,000 delegates. And when they got there, they seen old Germans under that German, uh, under that German language sitting there talking and all of a sudden, boom, tongues hit them. And they seen people from Spain. They seen people from Canada. They seen people from the United States. They seen people from all over the world in different dialects and different languages. And all of a sudden, on those 3,000 delegates, right in front of those Jews, the Holy Ghost fell upon those 3,000 delegates. And they began to speak with tongues in unison. And the power of the Holy Ghost went over those Jews. And again, it confirmed to the Jews, just like what Peter did after the day of Pentecost, it confirmed to them that the Holy Ghost is not only for the Jew, it's for the Gentile. It's not only for the Jew, it's for the black, the white, the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the Holy Ghost is for everyone. Can I have an amen? I'm here to tell you that there are over 250 million Pentecostal believers around this globe that can testify of the realness and the authenticity of the genuineness and the realness of Pentecost. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost is alive and well. The third person of the divine trinity has not took a vacation. He's not vanished from off the face of the earth. He's not in hiding. He's not elusive. His gifts are still attainable. His fruits are still available. And his power is still receivable. He has not died. He's not went into hiding. Ask and ye shall receive the power of the Holy Ghost. Right after I get done telling this story, I'm gonna play a video. It's been made by the Church of God. When I play it, that's your altar call. I want you to come running. Something about the Holy Spirit said you tell the people to run. And you come running to this altar if you want a Pentecostal, it's refreshing. If you want a Pentecostal experience, you come running with your hands raised and get, forget about grandma, grandpa, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever's taking place. And you come with anticipation. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a Church of God's minister's son this week. Last night, matter of fact, he told me a story. I'm gonna try to get it as close as I can. I don't wanna butcher it. I only heard it one time. He could probably tell it much, much, much better than I could. But he happened to go to a certain church service here in southeast Missouri. And he walked in and when he sat down, he seen a man come in and he was tethered with tattoos from his knuckles all the way up his arms, his neck, his head, teardrops under his eyes, had the whole thing. He said, by the look of him, you could tell he lived probably a pretty rough life. Come from a rough background. But when that worship started, said all of a sudden, that man got to worshiping and said he had had an experience and encounter with God through salvation somewhere. And said, man, his worship was radical. And it was authentic and real. He said, at first, I thought, man, what's this guy doing? He said, I, I, I'm a guy that, you know, 
enjoying Pentecostal worship, but this is over the top. And he said that I sat there and I watched with amazement. And I thought, wow, that's real Pentecostal worship. And the man got caught up in the spirit. It was a marvelous thing. To make a long story short, there's a lot of things that went on. But later on, that man was driving down the road on Highway 60 going east. And the Holy Spirit came down in his car and he said, stop this car and give me radical worship. And he looked around at where he was at. He said, well, where do I turn off? I don't see any church. I don't want you to go to a church. Turn off here. It was at Dexter, Missouri. He turns off in Dexter and he comes up on a park and he says, go to the park. He gets out of his car. I thought I'm outside. And he gets out and he's looking around who may be in the park and who may be watching. And all of a sudden, there seems to be a sense of intimidation upon him. You know, I don't know about this. What meaneth this? That was going through his mind. What meaneth this? All of a sudden, he began to worship. The Lord spoke to him and said, hey, didn't I not tell you to worship me right? Why are you worshiping a different way than the way you worship me in that church? I want you to worship like you did that day at that church. And so he just started worshiping and finally got caught up in worship and it was radical. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a car pulls up. He looks down and he notices that the license plate is New York City or New York. A man gets out of a Mercedes Benz, a Rolls Royce, one of those, one of those. They're so out there and they're so far from me, I can't tell one from the other. He gets out of the car and he's in a decked out suit. There ain't no telling how much it cost. Shiny shoes that probably maybe $800,000, I don't, I don't know, he's just decked out. And he walks up to the young man and he's weeping and he says, you are giving God authentic radical praise, aren't you? And he said, yes, sir, I am. He said, do not stop. You do not know what the effects will be of this. You do not know what's happening. You do not understand what's taking place. You don't understand the power that you are presenting in the earth. And he kept on saying things like that over and over and over and over and over. And he says, I am a man that is over a big organization of several churches in the New York area over a big denomination. I am the top dog. And I have been to our churches, going to church to church, and I am so sick of the apathy. I am so sick and starving for something real. He said, the mediocrity is so strong that it's making me want to throw up. He said, I went out and got in my car and I gave God a promise. I'm going to drive until I see somebody that has radical, authentic praise. He said, I went from New York, across Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Illinois. He said, I got out here on the, on, on the freeway and I'm driving down the road and I'm coming to an intersection and God speaks to me and says, make a ride and go to Dexter, Missouri. 
And he said, I get to Dexter, Missouri, and God leads me to this park, and I, for the first time, and I don't know how long, I sense and I view radical praise. And he said, young man, God spoke to me, and God's about to visit southeast Missouri with a Holy Ghost revival like you've never experienced before. Oh, he gets all excited. How many would get excited over something like that? And he calls one of his best friends. He said, you ain't gonna believe what happened to me today. He said, I was driving down the road. God spoke to me. He said, pull over. He said, and give me radical praise. And the, his friend said, stop. Don't tell me no more. He said, and you was led to a park in Dexter, Missouri, wasn't you? He said, how'd you know that? He said, you got out of the car and you was a little hesitant, but God led you finally into radical praise. How'd you know that? He said, and a car pulled up and that car that pulled up had New York license plates on it, didn't it? And he said, oh my goodness, how did you know? And a man stepped out, decked out in, in a tire of a very expensive suit and shoes and he began to explain to detail the man. He said, how in the world did you know that? And he said, then that man began to tell you things about the, what you're unleashing on the earth and what's taking place. And, and before he left, he told you, revival's coming to southeast Missouri. And he's sitting there weeping. He said, how did you know? He said, I had a vision of that man and that experience three months ago. Don't tell me Pentecost ain't real. Don't tell me it's dead. Don't tell me it's just for the early believers. I'm gonna play a tape, and as that tape plays, you come running for your experience. You ready, guys? Play my altar call. says that the wind began to blow in that upper room and we would call that a miracle. The miracle did not stop in the upper room because the same wind that blew in the upper room kicked the door of the upper room open and men stumbled out under the power of God being accused of being drunk. They said among themselves, we are not drunk as ye suppose, being it but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last day I will pour out my spirit upon your sons and daughters. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions and the wind did not stop blowing there. It blew in Acts 19 at a city called Ephesus when believers who knew Jesus were filled with the power of the Holy Ghost but it did not stop there. The wind blew in the 
second and the third century and when human secularism and the blanket of religion tried to blow out the fire of God men stood up under the power of God and the wind continued to blow it didn't stop there at a, at a meeting called the Cane Ridge Revival in the mountains of Kentucky the glory of the Lord began to fall and that wind began to blow again but it didn't stop there it went all the way to the Unicoi Mountains of Tennessee and in 1896 at the Shear Schoolhouse Revival that same wind began to blow that blew in the upper room but it didn't stop there at a place called the Azusa Street Revival the wind of the spirit began to blow and shook a nation but it didn't stop there right now in this hour in this season the wind that blew at Pentecost praise God it's blowing again and it's blowing on the cities of the earth so that men and women may come to a knowledge of Jesus somebody praise the Lord for the Holy Ghost
Lord's flame white, see glorious. I run inside your throne room before you. I bow, I bow. The veil is the door's flame white. he's doing here today when you look in Acts chapter 2 it points out that they were in the upper room and they were in unity unity was the essence that was the foundational thing that had to happen before the Holy Spirit would come why why did there have to be unity because God was birthing the kingdom he was birthing an army 
I want to jump back in scripture and I want to show you a parallel of something. The Lord gave this to me a few minutes ago as I was standing over there and I didn't know if I would have this opportunity to come up here, but I want you to hear what the Lord, word of the Lord says. Now this is in Genesis chapter 11. How many of you know God has a plan? Okay. He knows what he's doing. Listen to this. You've heard this preached on. If you've been in Sunday school, you've heard this taught on. Now we're talking about the Tower of Babel. Hang with me. It says this, then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not be able to understand one another's speech. What he was saying in that passage is that even humanity, when there is an evil intention, if there is unity in thought and language, virtually nothing they plan to do is impossible. And this was a total disruption of what God wanted to do. So God came down and he intentionally confused their language so that there could not be unity, so that the plan and the tactic and the strategy of the enemy would be broken down. Language scattered all over the face of the earth. Because of evil intention, God confused their language. There was no unity. They couldn't complete the project. Now let's skip over to Acts chapter 2. It talks about a different kingdom. It's talking about the kingdom of God. It's talking about that they were in unity as the Holy Spirit began to be birthed in them and poured out on them and there was unity and there was language that went out unto all of those that were there that day. All of the different nationalities and peoples heard the Holy Spirit speaking to them so that it brought about a unity so that the kingdom of God would be birthed in power. Let me just stop and say that what God disrupted in the Old Testament in Genesis and broke down the plan of the enemy, he reestablished his original plan on the day of Pentecost. And we are living out that experience today. How do I know that? Because the church is to keep marching forward and to keep expanding the kingdom of God. And what God wants out of this, let me just say, is more than a feeling, an emotional response, but how many of you like that? That's okay. God is trying to unify his people so that this revival that's coming to Southeast Missouri, that there is such a unity amongst the believers that it can only be a God thing. It can only be a God thing. God is looking for unity in his people and his church that we are all in one accord. And when the church is in unity and in one accord and his heavenly language begins to come down and unifies us, as it said in Genesis, nothing will be able to stop us. How many of you are ready for a church that nothing can stop? It starts in unity. And I'm going to ask you as a way of closing, would you right now raise your hands? Let me, just, let me just say this. If there's things in your life you need to repent of to be in unity with the Lord, then repent of them. 
right now. Just repent of them. To stay in unity with the Lord. If there's things that maybe you need to ask somebody else for forgiveness of, make sure you do that. Because here's what I am believing and here's what I am speaking over this church. That we are experiencing and going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit like never before. I want to hear every voice raised all across this place. And would you just begin to ask that Holy Spirit, fill me in a new dimension. Fill me in a new level. Unify your body of believers right here. Come on, let me hear those tongues. I hear some tongues. Let me hear them. Don't be ashamed. This is beautiful. Come on. chosen people. You are my royal priesthood. Follow me. I will lead you. I will guide and direct you into all truths. Humble yourself before me. Do not think of yourself as lowly because I give my blood for you. Accept what I am saying to you. Make it personal and do what I direct you to do. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand clap right now? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we don't want to take for granted the gift of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we reverence the day of Pentecost and what it means to your kingdom and what it means to the church. Father, I pray that every person that walks out of this place today would operate under a new level of anointing, not for our own sake, but to build up the kingdom's sake and to glorify Jesus. Lord, we expect to come back tonight and hear the word preached and to worship you and be in your service and to glorify you once again. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.